Welcome to Work Mom Says Don't Be an Idiot. And now, here's your host, Work Mom. Hello, and thank you for joining us at Work Mom Says Don't Be an Idiot. I'm Lori Jovest, and today we are going to talk about idiot bosses. Um, I have worked for 15 of them probably. And uh, if you work for anyone else, you will inevitably work for an idiot. Um, today joining me is John Reed from Rain BDM and Laura Khalil from Brave by Design. Both of these fabulous human beings have their own podcasts. So I'm a little anxious about having them as a, as guests, but they're both amazing human beings. And uh, we, we got together for dinner a little while back and we're talking about crazy bosses we had and crazy work experiences and how we could share that wisdom with young professionals. So that's what we're doing today. So John, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh boy. Um, I'm a recovering lawyer, uh, father of two amazing adult boys, uh, married to a saintly wife, and uh, finally, by being my own boss, have realized how to have fun at work. Awesome. I was actually thinking when it, before we got on this recording today that uh, sometimes the idiot that you're working for may be yourself. I was going to say, <laughs> look around the room. If you can't find another idiot, it's you. <laughs> We're all entrepreneurs. And I'm like, I am sure I we're entrepreneurs. I do have, I'm building a team. I know there are days when they will think I'm an idiot and, and that's okay. So uh, Laura, tell us a little bit about yourself. Hey everyone. Um, my name is Laura Khalil. I am a Silicon Valley veteran. Um, I had enough of the idiot bosses I was dealing with. Uh, started my own business in 2013 and um, I'm really dedicated to helping uh, women rise. So what are my hobbies? I mean, beyond beyond that, I'm obsessed with spy films. Oh, that's um, fun. I know. And no I have- kidding. my Really? Yeah, I really that's love awesome. spy stuff. And I um, I have my, my little co-pilot here, Violet, my Labradoodle, who's, who's just, she's here with us enjoying the recording. Okay, you my intro sucked. I just want you to know. So that's okay. We can come back at and, one and, point or another in an episode or two. I'll redo it. But yeah, for now, I'm do. good. What, John? Absolutely. But hey, the spy novels thing. I got to. I got to circle back. Did you say spy movies or novels? I like all kinds of spy stuff. I okay. love learning about the CIA. I love movies. I play spy games. Like I'm really you, into spy. Have things. you been to the museum? Oh, I really yes. want to go. I really yes. want to go. You haven't been yet? Uh, in D.C.? In D.C.? Yep. Oh, oh, That's amazing. where we should record our next live episode. We'll do a amazing. live recording of Work Mom Says from the Spy Museum. So. Well, here's my favorite spy story. I worked with a guy. I got, when I was probably 25, got hired by a small company, got recruited by a recruiter. Ooh, that feels special. They're having a hard time finding someone good. Well, I was like 25 years old. Come on. <laughs> they were they were putting on a big show that they had lots of money and they were all oh, hire a recruiter and the recruiter found people and I was brought in and they had this beautiful office on Big Beaver and it was absolutely amazing. And uh about six weeks later By the way, for um, our viewers that don't live in Michigan, that's a road. <laughs> <laughs> it's a 
exit 69. Big Beaver. Oh, wow. You, you had to go there, did you? I did. Exit I had 69 to in Troy, Michigan. So let me tell you, every time you'd have to call, when we had that office and you'd call someone in New York with a trade magazine or a PR story and you'd have to say, we're located at Big Beaver Road. <laughs> then you'd have to add the exit 69 because that's just how it works in Michigan. But anyway, <laughs> we had this fancy office, right? So, and they also recruited a guy from, from Chicago to move to Michigan with his pregnant wife who quit her job. Oh Six weeks in, they said, yeah, we had a company meeting, you know, which we did frequently. And they said, hey, um, we are in serious financial trouble. And we have to do some extreme budget cuts today, and we have to start with payroll. So we're going to have to meet with you each one by one, and we'll tell you, you know, what we need to do to your particular situation in order to keep the business afloat. And Tom, I'll use his name, Tom, that moved his wife pregnant away from Chicago, quit his job, she quit hers, was just cool as cucumber. Like, what the... We went through weeks and we're all like freaking out because we'd all left our jobs to come to this place that was now sinking. Mm. And he said, well, my secret is, because I kept harassing him, what is it? He's like, well, I read a lot of spy novels. Like, well, what does that mean? And he's like, think about it. Anything can be happening on the inside with these guys and no one would know. And my favorite one, he was told like he's this famous spy that he really loved. He said, the guy could be knockout drunk and never lose character. He's like, I aspire to be that guy. And I was just like, whoa, okay. So it was an interesting angle on spy novels. So there you that go. Is that is my spy story. So let's talk about our um, our worst bosses or most idiotic bosses. John, you were talking earlier about the the scale of idiots, of idiocy, I guess. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some idiocy, I guess, is forgivable or understandable, right? Like if your personality is idiotic, that's one thing. But if you're just an an idiot in your job and you you you're proving the Peter principle every day when you walk into work, um, mm-hmm. that's that's insufferable. Probably where I've seen it the most is in um, sales organizations where you get yeah. fantastic salespeople. And success is equated with becoming a manager mm-hmm. and they're horrible managers and they're horrible division directors and they're horrible overseers of people. But if you just put them back to where they're doing just sales, they'd be great. I, but they're I, not yeah. horrible people, right? They're not horrible people. They're just incompetent um, at doing something other than what they were doing previously. There you go. So. On the scale of idiocy, a 10 would probably be my old boss who basically dumped the creative director that he left his wife for, that was his chief creative lead, to get into a relationship with someone on my team who was 20 years younger than him. And came by my desk one day and, and rubbed his hands together and said, she likes older men. Looked at her and looked at me. And I was like, it was so far off anything normal in an office environment that it made no sense. And I didn't even know how to react. Right. So 
to the other extreme of idiocy, you've got those kind of people that you really kind of want to run from when it's yeah. dangerous to you, when it's unethical, when it's um, they're asking you to do something that that you wouldn't do normally ethically, those kinds of things. Um, but circling back to the typical idiot, um, again, one of the biggest questions I get to the to the blog is how to work for an idiot. How do I work for an idiot? Little idiots. <laughs> How do we how do we how do we say the scale? How are we going to measure the idiocy? Like, is it a one idiocy or is it a little a baby idiot or how do we do that? I don't know. I'm I'm kind of confused an here. Itty bitty idiot. An itty an itty bitty idiot. Yeah, there you go. Would be like the old boss I had before the the job I left to go left the one that was going under to go to the new job. That guy was just, he couldn't stop talking. He had like verbal diarrhea, which is okay because he, I was new to the business and he just taught me so much. But if he caught you in the parking lot at, you know, on the way to your car at five o'clock, you'd st still be there standing by your car door with it open, waiting to get in at six, you know, so that kind of idiocy, I stayed there for a while. I stayed there for like three and a half years. He was a little crazy. But he taught me so much and I was challenged and, and that made a difference. So when you talk about the, the little bitty idiots, those are the ones that, that you can tolerate. So um, who's your favorite idiot boss, Laura? Tell me about your one of well, your experiences I, and, I, and what you learned or didn't learn. I want to circle back to like, how do you rank the idiots? Because I think there's a sense of like, there are some really dumb people or really idiotic people in professions where you can still learn a lot on the job. And that's like kind of what I hear you describing, Laura, Lori. And that's okay. Like maybe they're kind of a dummy, but like, you know, whatever, you can live with it. And right. then there's people who are idiots who create a really hostile working environment. Mm -hmm. And those, those are the kind of people they're where, dangerous. yeah, they're really dangerous and they're really mm -hmm. dangerous to your mental health. So I think when I was trying to think about the distinction, I'm like, well, there's people who are kind of harmless. Yeah. And then there's people who are like actually quite harmful and, and can really derail people's careers. Yeah, I, um, I, I, I agree with you on that one. I, I, yeah. I actually enjoy a good idiot at work because um, it, it just it lightens the environment. It's entertaining. Yeah, <laughs> it can absolutely. Be. Yeah. Uh, but mm -hmm. but when 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 someone is messing with my head, messing with my business relationships, making it um, difficult. That's, that's where that's, 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 as I said, that's dangerous. Yeah. That's where it gets crazy. So let's talk harmless or harmful. Yeah. So the harmless idiots are the ones that are just really annoying. You know, they're annoying. Maybe they get crabby, you know, maybe, maybe they aren't good at signing purchase orders or remembering approvals or things like that. But give me an example of a um, harmless idiot that you guys have I, I encountered. Have so I have one who had more money than sense. And <laughs> that's not he, uncommon. Right. And so he came from a really, this is when I lived in Montreal. He came from a really well-off established Canadian family. Like their name was on all the buildings in Montreal. They had tons of money and he decided he wanted to start a publishing company. And when I got out of university, I wanted to work in publishing. Mm -hmm. And I got an opportunity to work there. And I thought, gosh, I'm going to take this. Now, I was surrounded by super high achieving, incredible writers, incredible uh, people on the staff. 
But our founder, this guy was, he was really something else. So I stayed for about a year, got the experience I needed and then took off. But um, I remember we worked in a, um, so in Montreal at the time, at least, this is 20 years ago, there was a lot of fur, fur, furriers, like people mm-hmm. making fur coats and stuff. That was like a really big industry there. And we worked because he had a lot of money, but he was also very cheap. We worked in a building that was a furrier building. So every day you would get into the elevator and you would literally be standing next to these men in these white coats, kind of like a medical coat covered in blood and chemicals. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh my God. Yeah. It was really It was wild. It was. We haven't even gotten to the idiot yet. I know. I I was going to say. It was so, he was so crazy. And I'll tell you, I was kind of like, you guys know that I have a bit of a sense of humor. And so like this guy would come into the office and he would say things like, I don't need to know how to do it. I can just pay to figure it out. And he would, and so he would lose tons of money just throwing it down the drain and just say like crazy things that would really um, derail the magazine and we would, and then he'd walk into his office, you know, kind of jolly and happy. And like, he had no idea the chaos he had put everyone in. And so we had an open office space except for his office. And so, um, we would look at each other like, Oh my God, is he nuts? And one day he decided that he was going to hire a publisher Um, And a publisher, like a high powered publisher who had moved from Toronto, which is sort of like the head of everything Canadian publishing. She moved from from Toronto. She took this job. She was a lot older than all of us. She was, we were all probably in our 20s and early 30s. She was like in her 50s, which at the, you know, of course, at the time we were like, oh my God, it's like, who is this old lady coming in? (laughs) Of course. He wanted, no offense, guys, but she, you know, you know how oh, kids, no, I get it. You know how kids think. We're like, oh my, oh, God, yeah. who is this? And so she was a super professional woman, super acclaimed. She had no idea what she was walking into. And he decided we needed to make our fur trapping office not look like a piece of shit. And so he was like, I know what we're going to do. We're going to go to a foreclosure sale and I'm going to buy some um, um, cubicles. I'm going to buy foreclosed upon cubicles and we're all going to set them up in the office. So, and she was going to take our meeting room as her office. So there was nowhere to meet anymore. And so uh, we set this all up. She comes in, sets up in the, in the meeting room and he still walks into the office and says dumb shit all the time, except that we can't see each other anymore because now we're in a quote unquote professional office with cubicles. So you can't, you can't even, Roll your eyes Lori, to an audience on, at that point, on, which is really a right. bummer. So I had an intern, um, this wonderful Japanese woman. She had come over from Japan and we went, I said, her name was Mina. And I said, Mina, I have an idea. We went into the bathroom and we took photos of me making the faces that I oh would my God, make. You did not. And we had a printer in the basement of the building, like a professional printer we had them laminated and put on popsicle sticks. So, <laughs> so you could like stick them so up. Every over the time edge of the he cubes. would walk into his office, I would raise a popsicle stick face. Oh 
With the appropriate, awesome. maybe I was the idiot. I mean, who knows? Maybe we all were. Well, let's talk about being able or using humor to deal with idiocy. Seriously, it's one of the best tools there is. I mean, if you can't laugh, I can't, when you talk about when in your twenties and thirties, mm-hmm. I think a lot of times people end up working for idiot entrepreneurs in their twenties and thirties, yeah. right? And they can kind of get away with a lot because they're not in corporate America. Not that corporate America doesn't have its share because they do. But if you can't commiserate with each other and, you know, oh my God, about the boss, then what can you do? I mean, that's part of a coping mechanism. It really is. Let me pose a question. Conceptual. Is it nature and nurture? Do, do some environments create idiots? Or do idiots just happen to be there? Hmm. I think in my case, in the cases of the people, some of the people I've met, no one's told them no, or no one's taught them a better way. And so they just think they're right. It's kind of like, have you ever heard that phrase? Like, oh, to have the confidence of a straight white man. It's kind of like that thing. (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. (laughs) He has no idea. No idea what you're talking about. I don't know. John, what do you think? (laughs) Uh, I, um, I have been in some pressure cooker environments that created idiots out of otherwise good people, but then I've also Uh. been in, in other environments where the idiots just showed up and they brought their idiocy with them. There was nothing about the place that made them more idiotic. Um, What created idiots? What 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 are the ingredients for that recipe for disaster? Yeah, how does that happen? Um, I think uh, I think anytime there's pressure, that mm-hmm. that creates some idiots too. Um, that could be a sales quota. It could be a law firm billable hour. It could be um, in an ad agency. Um, more idiots from the client side that are impacting the agency side. It's, it's, uh, I think there's a lot of things. Yeah. I've seen people, I've seen bosses and coworkers take advantage of people's weak spots. And then that person reacts and becomes kind of idiotic. They use like they lose their, they're cool. They do stupid things. And I think that happens a lot more when you're in your twenties and thirties and you're can get emotionally overwrought in the workplace easier. Mm-hmm. But Big I've time. also worked for narcissistic bosses who I think kind of look for the kind of weaker people to hire so that they can have that power and control. I'll, I mean, you, I'll tell you a great story. It, it was not my boss. Um, I was in sales and the decision maker on the other side was the boss of the person we normally dealt with. So let me set this up. This was a contract renewal of an existing contract. We were looking for an increase. It was a negotiation. I was there with two, not only female colleagues, they were really in the driver's seat on this negotiation. I was just tagging along. On the other side of the table was the COO of this organization and plus our contact 
He was male. She was female. We sat down to have the conversation. He immediately engaged in bravado, um, deflected, objected, the whole thing, and would only look at me. Yes. God. And so he thought he had it all going on. He thought he, thought he had all the points, all of the objections, and that he was going to get just a straight renewal, no increase. And he got so cocky that he put his hands behind his head, leaned back in his chair, and whoop, 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 whoa, the chair went backwards, <laughs> fell yes. on the ground. Oh, my God. It's perfect. we got the renewal and the increase within five minutes. And the beautiful thing is I can call up, to this day, I no longer work there, of course, but I can call up those two colleagues of mine. We're still friendly. And all I have to do when the answer is go, whoop, 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 whoa, and hang up. And they'll know exactly that it's me <laughs> and what I'm talking about. I love those kinds of work friends. They're the best. They are the best. Lori, what can about you? Can you imagine what a jerk he would have been to work with? Terrible. Oh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I like to look at some bosses as teaching us about boundaries, right? I worked for a small agency just as a contractor for a short time period. And um, it's a great story. Uh, it was one of those places that every, wants everybody to be up in arms all the time and wants to call you at six o'clock in the morning and send you texts at seven and have you in meetings at eight and seven o'clock at night and all this. And, oh, we have a big pitch we haven't had time to work on. So everybody's got to be here this weekend. And I was a contractor, so I stayed out of the fray, but I watched these employees and they were just constantly just rattled. And there was one woman who wasn't and who didn't come in on the weekends and didn't stay past five, five thirty. And we talked about it one day and she told me she'd gotten one of those emails that said, I, you know, we need everybody on deck. We need you all day Saturday, all day Sunday and da, 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 da. And she had replied to it by saying, you know, dear boss, um, I have had a 20 year career in advertising and I have never worked weekends or lots of hours or evenings. I have two young children at home and you knew that when you hired me, I would be more than happy to find someone, help you find someone else to fill my position if the position truly requires the kinds of hours that you're requesting this weekend. But I cannot do what you're asking. And she said she came back into the office. She never got a response or she got something like, okay, but no conversation. And the boss was just kind of like looking at her all the time, like, you know, and and finally, after two days, confronted her and said, "Well, are you are you upset with us, or what? I, I, are you mad?" And she's like, "No, I just have boundaries." And it was almost like the boss didn't even know what she was talking about. Now she left within about six months because that indication of no boundaries is a really good clue that it's probably not going to work out for you if you want to have a life, you know, or if you want to have you know emotional health. Because boundaries are really important, and a lot of idiot bosses don't don't pay attention to that. Another indicator of boundary problems is if anybody on the leadership team has a romantic relationship with anybody else in the business. A oh, lot yeah. of times, that means the boss is tolerant of you know those waffly boundaries because they sh that should never happen, right? So I've learned in my career to ask those things up front. <laughs>
Oh, wow. I don't work for anybody else at this point, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I would highly recommend if you're working for a small entrepreneurial company that, especially if you're a woman that you ask, does anybody on the leadership team have a romantic relationship with anyone else on the team? Wow. Because I, yeah, I went to, a, I left an agency job to go to a small agency. This is, it's funny now. It's really funny. But, um, the day I was leaving, I ran into one of my coworkers in the hallway and she said, Oh, where are you going? And I told her and she said, Oh, she said, Oh, I had a friend that used to work there. And I said, really, what did they say? And she kind of rolled her eyes and said, well, I'm sure all the, um, infidelity is over by now. Oh my God. Wow. What? She's like, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. She went into a meeting and I was like, you know, the first day on that job, one of the leadership team comes up to me, you know, let's go out to lunch because I was on a leader too. Let's go to lunch, get to know each other. Oh, and by the way, I'm in a relationship with the owner. And I was like, oh, I wish I would have asked because it was a really good indicator and it was a, it was a shit show. It was a total shit show because of all the weird entwinements and entanglements that can happen when somebody is an emotional idiot because there are bosses that are emotional idiots. They don't have the emotional or the EQ to be a good leader. And I think EQ is critical to being a good leader. Mm-hmm. So so but let, let's throw a wrench into that. I've worked in organizations where leadership didn't fish off the company peer but everybody else was acting like it was a singles bar <laughs> and, yeah. and, and leadership knew about it, allowed it, tolerated it. I don't know that I'd go so far as to say encouraged it. And, uh, and there were some idiot bosses there. I think because of that, there were some idiot bosses. It's almost like they enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. I've had those bosses too, that like to encourage the gossip culture because they enjoy it. Mm. You know, we've had those, right. The ones that enjoy the gossip. Yeah. Like, I, I, uh, you know, we were talking about dangerous bosses before I, I worked for a guy. It was my first job out of college. It was an agency and we had created a publication. Uh, I won't go into too much detail, but we only had about 10 initial copies of this thing uh, around around the office. And they were with the people they should have been with to kind of proof it and examine it and whatever else. And my boss was at a meeting at the client's location and said, I need I need eight copies of that magazine to get on the afternoon you know, shuttle, whatever route to the client or you're, or you're fired. So at lunchtime, I'm, sne- and oh I'm, you know, I'm, this is my first job and I was just petrified. So I'm sneaking around the office, ducking in, grabbing these things while people are at lunch. Oh no. And, oh uh, my God. And, and did it and got them there and whatever. And then I got people who I was developing relations with, relationships with who came in and said, I can't believe you did that. Don't you ever do that again? And oh, even wow. then I had some idea of shut up and just take it. And I oh. remember being in a meeting with my boss when somebody called that out and he says like, yeah, I have no idea where he got the idea to do that. John, that's yeah. the worst. 
it is, but it happens. It if does. you're a young person, yeah, you mm-hmm. are likely to get taken advantage of in that way. But you know the thing, right? Though, and I'm, I, it's a wonderful lesson that I had then. Is that yeah, he and I yeah. were on a collision course. And what's too bad yeah, is I right. was a, I was a summer intern there, and we got along smashingly. It's why I got hired. But then it just went south after that. But there was that and there was some other thing that happened. And I don't know exactly what it was. It didn't seem like it was as big as the magazine thing. And he basically got demoted and I got moved over. And I felt that was a victory. Oh, yeah. I remember thinking, I didn't do anything wrong. Well, I did something wrong, but it was in the direction of somebody, and I found it was to be under duress or coercion. But even after that, I didn't throw him under the bus. I did my apologies. I acted professionally, and I felt that there was some sort of karma that came back to me because oh, yeah. of oh, yeah. the, the shift. You know, Harmless idiot bosses do usually get their comeuppance. It usually does happen. I was going to say to John's point about getting shifted and moved over, like talking about strategies for dealing with people, especially people like that who are malicious and who are creating really hostile work environments. If you, if you don't leave, if you, for whatever reason, want to stay in the organization, I, I think the best strategy of trying to get under someone else, trying to move into a different department or trying to move under a different manager is what I see a lot of people attempt to do, which can help alleviate the situation. Absolutely. Oh yeah. You can actually, I've done that before where I've gone to the big boss and said, again, boundaries. I I can't work for this person. I can't have, you know, I I'm getting ready to go home. I have a baby at home and I've got somebody dumping two hours of work on me at five o'clock and the next morning expecting it to be there at eight and it's not going to happen. And, uh, and happened over and over again. And I was, I mean, I was 30 by then, I think. And I, I set a boundary because you, if you don't, you will get taken advantage of. I had a guest on um, the 10th episode of the podcast, Kelly, who talked about one of the most important lessons she learned was that no one else is going to take responsibility for your work-life balance. Yeah. And the idiot boss will often just expect you to work like they do, to be as passionate as they are. And you're not, you won't be, you know? So again, boundaries is a huge thing. Yeah. You know, Lori, to that point, I've had um, clients who are in leadership who will say to me, well, I will send, I will be on Slack. I will be texting people. I will be sending emails at 11 at night, but I don't necessarily expect them to respond. And I said, have you ever communicated that to people? Because you're creating an expectation that people respond because they want to emulate kind of what the culture is and they want to fit in. And if your culture is, it's normal to work 18 hours a day that, you know, you got to tell people, you got to help them know they're not going to know otherwise. Absolutely. You've got to express that stuff. And I, you know, there is this little thing called delayed send, you know, delayed. Right. I do that all the time because I don't want people knowing I'm working on their stuff at 11 o'clock at night. (laughs) You know, it's like 9 a.m. It goes out. Yeah. But the other part of that is when they get 13 emails at 913 in the morning, it's like, oh, you're on delayed send. (laughs) No, I'm just really, really productive at seven. (laughs) That's it. 7 a.m. I get it all done. Part of the day. 
Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So idiot bosses, let's talk about emotional intelligence. How important is emotional intelligence in, in a good boss? You know, my first response was men don't have it. But then I realized John was here oh and I had to be. God. <laughs> I'm totally joking. John. I, I, I had to throw it out there. That's fine. That's <laughs> fine. Fine. John and I are never going to talk after. I'm going to have to bring John. Like I see. I know. I know the way back into your heart, John. I know you like um, baked goods. So I'm going to show up at your butter and flour and I'm everybody's best friend. (laughs) That's where Laura's going with this. That's good to know. Really, really good to know. Yeah. It's critically important, Lori. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the biggest things I think is bosses don't want to confront things. So they let them go, let, let things build up rather than let's address this right now. Um, and they, uh, sometimes we'll let something build up. I got an old boss that was, you know, very conservative and very Christian, very Catholic, very Christmas, 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 right? I started with the company. We had, you know, this little, little Christmas tree look like it'd be in your living room, right? I'm like, oh no, we work with big major ad agencies. I'm going to go, what do you think? Can I go up to English Gardens? Wonderful store around in Michigan that has beautiful holiday displays and just incredible trees. Went and got these, this beautiful tree and this beautiful decor and the colors of the logo. And it had like feather boas around. It was just stunning, just stunning. I emulated a tree in their thing, right? In the lobby of the the store. And so I get there, I let, put it all up. Everybody's just ooh and on. It's great. And then we, you know, we go home for the weekend and we come back on Monday and the boas are gone. I'm like what happened to the boas? Uh-oh. What's up with that? I had no idea. I really literally had no idea what happened to them. Wait, can I interrupt for Two or three days. Did you say bows or boas? Boas, feathers. Okay. I just, I didn't know if we boas. were going for like traditional or striptease. So I was Stripper, just trying oh to no, figure striptease. out. Oh, no, no. <laughs> Work mom is all about the striptease. Okay. That is all a right. riot. Have and there was a big pasty on the top instead of a that's star. Right. That's right. That, maybe that's what he didn't like. <gasps> it was the stripper pole aspect of the tree. Oh, you know, I had no, I didn't even think about that. And all the single dollar bills were hung with care. <laughs> Speaking of. You know, this really never made sense until today. <laughs> it never made sense until today. What he did. But okay, fast forward. I come in Monday. The, the boas are all gone off the tree. We're like, what is even happening? And we're all kind of asking each other. And somebody, one of the guys says, oh, the mailman took them. Ha ha, you know. And we literally. Well, I get a call. I'm driving back from a client, a client that afternoon. And, you know, three days into this situation, I'm driving back and my boss calls me and he is livid. (laughs) He is so mad because people, the corporate America has stolen his Christmas and he was pissed. And basically he took the boas off the tree, but he didn't have the boy parts, balls, courage, whatever, to say, you know what, Lori, I really don't care for that Christmas tree. I don't really, it's not, it doesn't say Christmas to me. I am a, we are a Christian. I am a Catholic. This represents my values, blah, 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 blah. So he spit all that out at me in this call, just livid, pissed, mad. And I became the person who took away Christmas. You stole basically Christmas. Is how it, I stole Christmas from him. 
and I'm sitting there as an employee going, okay, this is my job. I got to pay my bills. How am I going to deal with this? Oh my God, I didn't really steal Christmas, right? And what comes back out of it, eventually I talk them out of the tree because I, by then I'd spent 20 years in sales and I can deal with angry people really well. So I kind of manipulated him to, into happiness <laughs> by saying, hey, if you really feel that way, then why don't we say Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, you know, whatever. And if you have a message that you want to say about the holiday, let's put it in our card. Like mm. you could have just told me that sweet cheeks. Did you have to do it that way? <laughs> Did you have to make me go these, these gyrations and look stupid and feel stupid and feel like I stole your Christmas? But all it was, was just the inability to confront anything negative. And it's really not that big of a deal. The world is full of, I mean, work is full of negative conflict shit that you have to deal with. And a lot of bosses, the idiot bosses I find are lacking in the courage to confront difficult things before they get big. But you know what we're not addressing here? And that what is, is it, John? the fun of the idiot boss. I know. Isn't it fun to outsmart the idiot boss? Isn't it he fun? He stole my boas. It was. Well, okay. I manipulated boa, him into happiness. Boa theft aside. But um, th th there's just a certain poetic justice to not railroad the idiot boss out of the company or anything, but just right, to right. outsmart, outplay, outmaneuver, get what you oh, yeah, want. I, and, yeah. you know, if you can't cure idiocy, at least you can contain yeah. it. And you can laugh. And I'm telling you, I, I felt so good about manipulating him into happiness about the fact that corporate America stole Christmas. I was like, I'm a hero. I did this. Yeah, but He's you can't be now. rude. I mean, my mom, told me, told, she she taught me right. You laugh behind somebody's back. You don't do it in their face. I know, exactly. If they can see you when you're laughing, then it's not fun either. Yeah, because no. then it's just mean. Uh, yeah. Then it's just mean. So so let's talk about the fun idiot bosses. Fun idiot bosses? Is that an oxymoron? Mm. Yeah, I worked for a guy for a minute and a half uh, who... Because he thought he was so successful as the owner of the business, he decided he no longer had to fit in with his clients, right? So mm. the nature of this business was that he was working with a pretty traditional group, suits and ties, you know, and he would go on sales calls in jeans a shirt buttoned down, a few, unbuttoned down a few, chains hanging out. And most mm. importantly, he had chest metal hair. bracelets. And, and, chest hair. and uh, um, he was Lori known- wants the chest hair. She's really in this for the chest hair. She wants the Tom hey, Selleck. Hey, that's a whole that different podcast. I'm not talking it about- It extra you know. creepy though. Oh, oh. okay. Um, but anyway, so so uh, he he went on a sales call one time, and he's in this big conference room with all these decision makers from the prospective clients' office, and he sits down, and it's one of these big conference table and tables, and it has the glass on top of it. So every time he puts his arms down on the table, it's chink 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 because he's got this chain on his wrist, this bracelet, and. Uh, just completely tone deaf to the people that basically were keeping his business going. Oh, God. Um, we know the type. 
Is that we person still around, John? Is What's he still that? around? Is no, he he's still dead. around? He's oh, dead. All right. Well, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. I used to work for um a couple, a married couple. And they were Gwen Stefani's aunt and uncle. And we called them the Flying Stefani's. <laughs> I hate to say I think they're probably dead too, Jen. Um, but they were they were just this married couple that were just like if uh, if he was having a bad day, the whole building was going to have a bad day. So as employees, you had jokes, you had all these jokes and things that we did to to taught to be to keep our shit together, right? Because we were running their company and they were just acting crazy. And um, like, don't Christmas speak. Eve, yeah, exactly. No doubt. Don't <laughs> or like. Yeah, exactly. Or like, here's the thing that was really funny. Christmas Eve, they're they're supposed to come in early, let us off at noon and give us our paychecks. Noon comes around, we're calling them at home. They're not answering their phones. We're calling, we're calling. It gets to be two o'clock in the afternoon. People, we're all starting to get pissed. So we thought, hey, let's move our cars out of the parking lot and pretend we all went home. And this was the kind of boss that you would never do that because if we would have all gone home, gone home, they would have like fired us all. So we moved all our cars into other parking lots in the in the complex, turned off all the lights. And when they came in, we left, yelled surprise and laughed like hyenas. And they were so confused. They're like, what is even happening? Oh my God. Because it was just the, you know, and you have to do those kinds of things to keep your sanity. Um, they got there about two or three, you know, three, three thirty maybe. So you can barely get to the bank on time. This was, you know, I don't, this was a long time ago. You guys, you still had to get to the bank that day to credit and all that, you know? And it was just, it was one of those funny things that we, we, um, we ended up, I think at that place, we were actually the 20 somethings were planning an upheaval and having meetings outside of the office, planning to go to their bosses, the the financial partner and tattle on them. Mutiny. I just decided that was too crazy. I had to quit. I was like, I just can't, I can't do this. We're going to overthrow the government. You know, when you're 20 something in a company and you're all 20 somethings, it was pretty entertaining. Well, that, it's amazing. That's, that's a stressful thing too, is you got the idiot boss and then you got idiot people conspiring to somehow, they're going to do what they can to undo or oust or whatever the the situation, you know, the boss. And the oh, yeah. It's like, no, no, you're not. No. But what do you guys think about, like, what's happening now with employees being, you know, really owning their power and setting more boundaries and kind of calling out the idiot bosses? Do you see that? I mean, so, I think it's uh, great if it's happening. Yeah, it's well. I guess the disclaimer um, is, I run an organization where we just try to be idiot free. We're all virtual. You mm -hmm. know, people are kind of everybody's an independent contractor. So you kind of come in to the organization with your with with all expectations are pretty much known, and mm -hmm. the people that haven't worked out with us just didn't understand what the expectations were didn't didn't convey what they wanted and so there was misinterpretation so the funny thing is, is after years and years of not wanting to work for idiot bosses and not wanting to rise to be one of them in an organization i've just decided to create an organization where that doesn't happen so that's like mm -hmm. the best 
Oh yeah. It's, it's when you get into a, I mean, I, I worked in corporate America for well, 30 years and I always kind of felt like I had no choice. I always felt like I was stuck. I had to have a job. I had to have a, you know, because I didn't have, I'm not sitting on a top, uh, you know, a, a mountain of cash to help me start something. You know, I don't have wealthy parents. I don't have a, anything to start with. So got lucky got let go from an ad agency job and started my own gig. And I'm like, why in God's name did I not do this so much sooner? But timing is, you know, timing is everything. And what I like to remind people continually about is if you're working for an idiot boss, especially a harmful idiot boss, you're not stuck. You are not stuck. You might feel stuck, you know, but you're not. The small shop I was talking about earlier where they took you know, they got a hold of you at six o'clock in the morning and they wanted things till, you know, 11 o'clock at night and all weekends. There was a young guy working there as a designer that he literally thought he was stuck and he is 30. He thought he was old, too old to find something else and too stuck. And we started working together. I, you know, just because he's a good friend, he's my original work kid, just because he's a really good friend, just to help him see the possibility of getting out and getting something better getting out and getting something better. And he ended up now working at one of the major automotive manufacturers on staff, making significantly more money. And it happened. It took six months, but it happened. He thought he was stuck. And at 30, he thought he was old. Because think it's not hilarious. We all thought we were old at 30. We all yeah. thought, oh my God, it's like, this is the, this is the end. You, you don't even realize you haven't even gotten started. I, I wanted yeah. to talk about John's point, though, about independent contract work, because I think that's that was such a game changer for me in in my own career was getting out of the full time thing and working as an independent contractor for others. It completely changed my life because I when you're an independent contractor, especially when you're working with a large corporation, for example, you're not involved in the politics. You're mm -hmm. not involved in doing reviews of people. You're there to do the work. You're usually, in my case, seen as an expert. You go in, you do it, you present, you get paid, you move on. Um, in many cases, and I don't want to say in all cases, but in my case, I was always paid more than the employees because mm -hmm. I'm taking care of my own expenses as well. I, I think, I mean, I think it's fabulous. I think it's mm -hmm. the way to go. And you don't deal with any of those politics that uh there's a lot less exposure to the idiots yeah a lot at any less. level because mm -hmm. you're a contractor you're you make your own yeah you know your own hours your own situation and it's not it's there's so much out there right now too it's there's the dream. so much i think there. it is i think it's amazing the yeah. gig economy yeah. has um revolutionized things i think i think the perfect storm has happened between the gig economy and the pandemic, which we can argue is terrible and tragic, but is also a beautiful, wonderful thing for certain types of workers and personality types. Um, you add that as totally. well as the acceptance. So this thing people don't understand is you couldn't have the gig economy until you had employers understand and accept that. For a long right. time, contract work was like, oh, what's your problem? Right, right, you know, you, right. An, an independent contractor is now the acceptable term. But before, when you said contractor, you were damaged goods. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so why now, they don't want to hire you full time, you know? Yeah, why? exactly. What's wrong with you? Yeah, right. It's changed though. It totally has big time. Yeah, I think we're going to see some really interesting things happen, and I, if I'd like to leave us today with a, we're going to sing a couple of pieces of oh. advice. Couple John's of pieces of Wait, advice. John's not done. John's not done. Wait, John has more to say. I want no. your best piece of Wait, advice no, for dealing started, with an you idiot. You to end that. Like we're going to end today. And I thought you were going to say with a song, and I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know where you were going. You were waiting yeah. for me to go. You were yeah. waiting for me to sing "Twinkle Twinkle" or something, huh? <laughs> it's about as good as the, it would get. The song stylings of Lori Jovest. <laughs> Oh my God. So if you had a piece of advice to give to someone who's working for a harmless idiot, here's what I would tell them. Work for them until you're not learning anymore. As long as you're learning, there's a reason to stay. If you're making good money and you're feeling, you know, you don't feel uncomfortable, they're not, you know, asking you to break laws, rules, whatever. They're just a, you know, a, a harmless idiot then stay until you've learned what you need to learn. And also use it as a, as a way to you know learn how to set boundaries because it's really difficult to do. The sooner you do that, the better off you'll be. So what about you, John? What do you have to say about uh, working for the harmless idiot bosses? Uh, it is an incredibly powerful exercise in patience. If oh, you can yeah. learn how to take a breath... And even find the fun and the humor in it. And you're, I agree with everything you said. Learn. But it, it's great practice because it is somewhat innocuous. So just practice on a harmless idiot. That sounds like a, bump, that sounds like a bumper sticker, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Who's your harmless idiot? <laughs> oh, my God. And Laura, what do you think? What advice would you um, give to somebody you know, who's I, a young person? I think this is... I think- the advice that you and John gave is excellent. And I would say perspective, this too shall pass. It can feel very all consuming when you're in it and all encompassing and it can keep you up at night. It can make you very stressed. Remember, this is not going to stay this way. You can make a different choice tomorrow. You don't have to be there longer than you want to be there. And this is a really, really, just put it in perspective. This is a really small part of your life. And there's so Mm -hmm. much more else, other, better, bigger things that are coming. As long as you have a plan for where you want to go or an idea of the direction you want to head in, um, just see this as a stepping stone along the way. You'll learn a lot from the idiots. And the tolerance. You learn tolerance, patience, all kinds of things. So. So that's it for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you, Laura. Thank you, John. And uh, we'll see you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to Work Mom Says. Don't be an idiot. For more information, you can email Work Mom at L-O-R-I WorkMomSays.com. That's Lori at WorkMomSays.com. And remember, <sighs> don't be an idiot. <laughs> <laughs>